got to have a certain discipline about you and a certain maturity about you. And you know, when everything else starts to fall, fall down around you, which it is going to, because regardless of the plan that you have, it will not survive contact, you know? I think that's just the case, the case with everything. There's always going to be adversity. And uh, you got to be that guy that walks in there and, and sort of steadies the ship and says, says everything's okay and this is what we need to do now and to fix the problem. But... Welcome to this episode of Leading the Rounds. In this episode, we interview Coach Mark D'Antonio. Coach D'Antonio is a former head coach of the Michigan State University football team. He was the coach for 13 seasons and was the winningest coach in Michigan State history with 114 wins. He had an impressive career as a head coach where he led his team to three Big Ten championships, Rose Bowl and Cotton Bowl victories, and an appearance in the 2015 college football playoff. In addition to his success on the field, he was also a leader off of it. He helped organize events to raise funds for Lansing Promise, Sparrow Hospital's Children's Center, and led Tripp's first team to visit schools in the surrounding areas of Michigan. He was given the Gene Stallings Award, which is given to head coaches who are humanitarians and promote healthy, vibrant communities around them. We hope you enjoy this episode where we talk about building a winning culture, creating buy-in, and overcoming obstacles. Welcome to Leading the Rounds. So hey everybody and welcome to this episode of Leading the Rounds. Today we are very privileged to have Coach Mark D'Antonio on the show. Coach D'Antonio, how are you doing this morning? Doing great, guys. Appreciate awesome. you having me on. So I wanted to play that clip because I wanted to ask you what was going through your head at that moment in that Michigan-Michigan State game? Well, you know, it was all coming down to the last 10 seconds. So it was, uh, we took the punt return around and uh, sort of max rushed them and when it happened, I was probably pretty much like everybody else in that stadium, sort of, sort of struck there, you know, and, uh, and I really don't remember other than maybe bouncing down the sidelines a little bit as it, as it happened. And then uh, when Jalen got hurt, you know, everything sort of turned a little bit, but, uh, you know, um, exciting ending, I guess, on one side of the, the spectrum. Yeah, it, def- it definitely was. Uh, somebody I went to high school and played football with in high school, Zach Leinbach, was on the oh, yeah, field. Yeah on the field as well. So I remember hearing from him just how crazy it was and how exciting that moment was. Yeah. Zach did a great job and he was one of the guys that was right over the center and uh, they had a new center and uh, you know, was sort of talking to him a little bit and uh, um, and the rest is sort of, I guess, football history. Yeah. So as a football player myself, I played in high school running back and linebacker. Um, I noticed that there are two kind of sides to the leadership requirements of a coach there's the long-term vision and building of a program but there's also that sped up in the moment game time leadership that you have to have and it happens during a single season or you know in the moment um and i wanted to get your opinion on what what makes a good coach at both of these things because i've had coaches that are good at one or the other sometimes both but i don't think everyone is good at both but from what Caleb's told me about your season, what I know about you, you seem to have the qualities of a good coach on and off the field. So what do you think makes a great coach? 
patience. I think patience as much as anything, you know, you've got to have a certain discipline about you and a certain maturity about you. And, you know, when everything else starts to fall, fall down around you, which it is going to, because regardless of the plan that you have, it will not survive contact. You know, I think that's just the case, the case with everything. There's always going to be adversity and uh, you got to be that guy that walks in there and, and sort of steadies the ship and says, says everything's okay. And this is what we need to do now and to fix the problem. But, uh, you know, so much about coaching, I think, is, is, is centered around winning. I mean, you got to win, I guess, at some point. But I, I also think it's the building process. And the, the coach, uh, you know, sort of builds the, the foundation in terms of, so, okay, what do, you, what do you want to accomplish and those type of things. And then you build it from there. But he's got to have patience because um, things will not always go as, as well as they, they go. And then, then in the um, – I think in the in – the, in the, stretch of a game uh game time management i get again i think that the patience and uh the ability to, to handle yourself and not come out of you know get out of sync too often you know uh, is going to have a, you know you got to think more clearly i think when you have your um when you're a little bit more patient on the field and, and a little bit more uh steady so you talked right there about kind of creating a culture and and building something so take us back to 2007 when you came to Michigan State. What was going through your mind as far as your goals and what you were trying to build at Michigan State when you f- first started as a head coach there? Yeah, it's really never changed. You know, I mean, really, when I when I went to uh, to the University of Cincinnati as a head coach for the first time in 2004, um, you know, I took everything that I that I had basically experienced from Jim Tressel or Nick Saban or whoever it was that I'd coached for for the past, you know, 25 years as an assistant trying to develop that. But I knew we were going to have to play with great effort. Great toughness. We're going to have to know what to do and do it rapidly. So even if it's in your profession, you know, you know, there's a certain, certain amount of uh, uh, mental toughness. There's a certain amount of, uh, you know, having to do, knowing your, your profession so well that you can do it like that. And then uh, also, you know, there's there's that that effort. You know, you've got to put in the effort. And then the five parameters that we sort of the pillars that we used, uh, and probably we still continue to use, um, was that regardless of what you do, you've got to have a relationship with the people that uh, that you're working with, and that's going to have to be centered around uh, probably commitment. You know, a joint commitment, uh, a joint ability to communicate. And then uh, you have to be able to trust each other. And that doesn't mean you have to be friends on and off, off the field or away from the job place. But I do think that you've got to have those, those three things have to be involved in your, in your professional life. You know, the commitment, the trust, and the communication. Usually when there's a problem, it's been because of a lack of communication is what I've seen. Then the second thing was uh, you've got to continue to educate yourself regardless of what you're doing, whether it's you're a coach or whether you're a player whether you're an academic student or whether you're somebody in your profession, but you've got to continue to educate yourself. Uh, the third thing you got to have that, uh, you got to say, okay, what constitutes a win for us, whether that's on the field or off the field. Um, but what, what is a win? And you've got to sort of try and become, become innovative and, and strive toward those things. You know, in our case, it was always a trial in a big 10 championship. That was, that was what we were centered on. And, um, you know, as we went through it, you know, we went 2007, 
won seven games, won nine games, and lost the last game, and we would have won a championship. Um, the next year we fell back a little bit in nine, and then uh, 10, we won 10 games, or 11 games, I guess, and was a co-champion, co-Big Ten champion when they had not yet split the conference. Uh, and then uh, 11, we played, we were Legends champions and uh, lost the championship game to uh, to Wisconsin. And then after that, you know, 12 was a sort of a step back in place. We accelerate and you hit 13, 14 and 15, which were big years for us. Um, but we had to say, okay, we had a dream big, I guess is what I'm trying to say. We had a dream big. And I thought our guys did a great job of doing just that. And uh, the 2011 game where we lost to Wisconsin in the championship game in Indianapolis, met a lot of guys who bounced back two years later um, to beat Ohio State in that same championship game and then go on to win the Rose Bowl. But a lot of the guys on that team had experienced the 2011 deal and, uh, and had continued to, to forge forward. The fourth thing I think is you, you've got to choose to be a light a little bit uh, for other people. And uh, by doing that, you sort of, sort of give people opportunity to become involved in your program and, and see you as a, as a, uh, I guess, as a light or as a helper or as somebody that can do things for other people. And I thought that was very important. And again, um, you just sort of figure out that, Hey, you don't have it too bad sometimes. So you put yourself in that situation. And the last thing was you, you, you had to be a worker. You had to go to work every day. And, you know, as Mel Tucker would say, you gotta be relentless. You gotta go to work. Um, but uh, and that's not easy, you know, whether it's what you do or it's what I do or it's what a player does. You know, there's a certain amount of uh, work ethic involved and it's a high, the higher you go in your profession, I think the higher you go uh, in terms of that work ethic. And, you know, when you're playing major college football, you know, there's a large, large amount of your time that's devoted to that. And, uh, you know, then when you get in the game, there's a large amount of effort that goes into it. And that's just constitutes work. So those, those are the five things. So the relationship, educate yourself, got to win, you know, what's your goal, you know, do something for other people and then be a worker. You mentioned you came into Michigan football with the Michigan State football. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, not from here. Uh, with, with these uh, five values in mind, how did you maintain these five values with a changing player base? Maybe some egos are coming on the team. What were the challenges you also faced to trying to implement these five pillars? Well, probably like what you guys experienced, you know, your, your, your players that enter the program, they're young, they get shaped by their peers. Mm. And, um, you know, the, the peers, the older players had, had gone through those, those steps and they believed in them and, one of the things that I did was, uh, you know, I had a leadership council that was voted in by the players. And, uh, we had 12 guys and we, you know, we didn't, uh, we did select them all at once. We selected two at a time. So people really had to give a, give some thought to that. We waited a little bit and, um, we formed that leadership council and then I would meet with them once a week and, and they determined a lot of things uh, themselves. We started doing that in 2010. Uh, you know, Kirk Cousins was a part of that first leadership council and, and some others. But uh, I thought it was very, very, um, you know, when you empower people and you make people part of the process, you know, you have a chance of getting a lot of things done uh, more easily than if you're just the, the guy up in front saying, this is what we're doing and this is how it's going to be. And there's a certain amount of that when you're the leader of anything, but there also is that part of it that, 
that says, okay, how do you bring people forward and get them to be a part of the process? And I think empowering them and giving them a voice is one of the biggest ways to do that. So in addition to the team, how do you think you were able to create such buy-in with the fan base and with the Spartan nation and with the whole university? Is it just about winning, do you think, or was it more than that? Well, you know, winning helps. There's no question about that. Everybody wants to win. And, you, yes. know, you know, sometimes, um, you know, I used to always say that people understand the product, just like what you guys do. People understand what you, the product, but they don't understand the process. They don't understand how you got there. So that's a big part of it. And then I would always say that to our players, you know, because we would be in a bubble, basically. So we, we had to go through the process and win. But, um, I took my time with people and, you know, made, made sure that, uh, that our players took their time with, with people as well, you know, when, when there would be fans around and things of that nature, you know, that, uh, again, you tried to empower them, you invited them in and made them feel a part of it. And I think that, uh, you know, particularly like the Rose Bowl, probably people felt a part of that because a lot of their, the fan base maybe had remembered the 88 game. Maybe they were young or maybe they were children or, whatever the case, maybe they heard about it from their parents, but to go back and do that, you know, 20, I guess, 20 years later or whatever it was, um, maybe more than 20 years, but uh, to be able to do that, um, sort of put, put people on that trajectory <laughs> uh, that everybody was together. Talking a lot about empowering others as a leader, and it's something we've heard a lot on the show, um, but as a coach with a team where there are clearly players who are better than the others, I guess I have a two-part question. One is, how do you choose who to empower? And then following that, how do you choose people, or how do you choose in a way that doesn't make other people feel undervalued? Well, um, two, two things there. Uh, one, they chose them. Mm. I didn't choose them. You know, they chose their leaders. And I think that that, that makes everybody more comfortable if they choose their own leaders, you know, within a, within a team. Um, now, again, you're still the head coach, you still have assistant coach, so there's still a foundation of rules and, and here's the way we're going to do things. And it's, there's there's got to be that. And, and, again, I go back to what I said before, though. Uh, your plan, whatever that plan is, will not, will not survive contact, meaning that there's going to be a problem come along at some point in time. And that's, I think, where you need your leaders or where you – your experiences in the past the draw from to say hey everything's okay this is what we've got to do so they chose their own leaders so nobody ever felt like i don't have the ability to lead everybody had the same opportunity mm. um, probably one of the things i would ask every year is i would ask everybody to stand up if they were a captain on their high school football team and probably about 80 to 90 percent of our players had been that so there was a large group probably probably at 90 percent our players had been captains for one reason or another. Maybe they were the best player on the team or whatever the case, but, um, or maybe they actually were leaders, but there was a strong leadership base that existed in there and they just had to, you know, wait their time. I had some players that didn't say a word for three years and all of a sudden they came out of their, out of that shell, shell a little bit and became a, a very strong leader on our football team. And I think it was unique to watch that. Um, so that was one of the things. And the second part question was. How do you not make those not chosen to be leaders feel undervalued? How do you prevent that from happening? Oh, okay. I, uh, yeah, the, the reason 
the way that we did that was I continually said everybody on this football team needed to have a role. Mm. First player, the very best player, to the player that was 110th or 120th. We had 120 on the team, but I felt like everybody had to have a role, not just on the football game day, but in practice. Maybe they were on the scout team or whatever it was, but they needed to work their job and be very diligent about their job and be proud of what they do. But uh, you earn the jersey that you wear. It's one of the things we always would say, earn the jersey. And you, you need to earn that jersey. Um, so that got, went back to the work ethic where the, the intent was towards that. But I really felt that everybody should be important. And I tried to do that. I tried to, to make sure that we touched um, every one of our players in some fashion. We had a mentor program within our staff that, you know, five players would belong to one particular coach. And that coach would make sure that he tried to touch him a little bit, you know, uh, every week that he would have a sit down or, you know, bump into him or say, Hey, how are things going? Talk to him about other things other than football, because football is only one part of their life. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I, that I understood as the head coach is that, you know, when I would stand up there and talk to 120 players every day for, you know, 10 minutes before we break for other meetings, you know, a lot of those players were experiencing things outside of football problems that I had no conception of. And that it was important that that we make sure that everybody's seen as an individual and as a person, but yet they're on a team. Mm -hmm. You brought up the distinction between being the best player on their team and then being a good leader. And so I want to ask you, out of the people that were chosen to be the leaders of the team, the captains of the team, what do you think made them good leaders leading the football team as a as a part of the team? Yeah, you know, um, to be a leader, to be the leader, you you know, within the team, you know, uh, one of these leadership people or or probably a coach or some sort of, there's got to be an experience factor that allows that to come forward. You you know, you're not going to take the guy who's never played the game and say, he's the guy I'm following. You got to take a guy who's experienced the, the ups and downs a little bit. They probably have, have got to be a starter or they've got to be a guy who's been around for four or five years and have played has played some because you've got to experience that part of it too. Um, so um, I felt like that that individual of prerequisites every time we, we picked those those leaders, those unity council people. And then from there, we went to pick captains later on um, that there were some prerequisites that they had to be, that they had to have. And, and they list them, the team list, okay, what's going to make a good person? You know, you've got to have played, you've got to have been, in, you know, an upperclassman to some degree, although that we would, we would always bring younger players and we'd vote younger players in and let them sit on the perimeter and experience. So they would, they would understand what goes into this, this uh, council or what goes into the, the team at a young, at a young point. Um, but we, we would constantly just try and, you know, I guess, uh, water our crops, you know, I guess, you know, and every now and then pull the weeds, you know, but we just tried to continue to fine tune what we did and always look for a better way to do things. We were constantly looking for critiquing what we did and looking for a better way to do things and trying to be more successful or trying to maintain some of the excellence or whatever it is, because it is a slippery slope a little bit up and down. You know, what, what, and I'm talking, when I say team, you know, it could be any type of organization. Mm -hmm. When you were in those, those downs, was there anything that you would, 
you kind of kept in your mind or you were thinking at the time to manage the maybe the emotional stress or the stress of the challenge that you were facing that helped you keep your team on track? Yeah, you know, my my family, especially my wife, uh, you know, I think was a big part of that. You know, you've always got to have somebody to turn to by faith. I think anytime that you put all your eggs in one basket and says and say, okay, this is who I am and this is what I do. And if I don't succeed, I fail. Um, you know, you're you're in for a, a tough landing. I think you've got to open up the, open up your spectrum and say that I'm not just a football coach. I'm not just a, a doctor. I'm not just that one what I do that can't define me totally. Um, you've got to open up the book a little bit, you know, and, and say, this is a more about a more than just this. And then, you know, when there are hard times, you can move back towards recenter yourself in these other areas and say, okay, now let me get back on track. But I think that you can't just, you know, because just like you said, you know, the, the mental anguish of, of losing a football game at the end, you know, if you, you sit there and say, that's, that's what I do. This is it. You know, that's going to be a problem at some point, you know, because you just can't, you know, you're working 90 hours, 80 hours a week, 90 hours a week, mm -hmm. you know, in a high stress environment. And, um, you know, whether it's practice or whether it's games or whether it's off the field stuff or whether it's academic stuff, or, but there's a lot of things that you've got to juggle. You're just more than just a coach. So I imagine that's pretty difficult when you, it does seem like your whole life is centered around coaching or your whole life is centered around being a physician. You mentioned working 80 and 90 hours, and that's very similar to the medical field and being a physician. And so with that, such a large amount of time committed to one thing, how did you, how are you able to stay balanced and how are you able to still have other things in your life that you could fall back on? Is it, do you think it's just blocking out time for that or, or mentally reframing or, you know, what do you think? Well, my family says it's going to take me two or three years to adjust to civilian life now. <laughs> so there is, there, it is different. And, uh, and I would say when I wasn't coaching, you know, there wasn't a lot of hobbies that were taking place because of the time, you know, <clears throat> to be good at a hobby, you got to do it golf or whatever. But, uh, but I think that, uh, you know, the people that you surround yourself with, especially, you know, your, your, your family, your, your wife, in my case, um, your assistant coaches, all these people, um, your staff, all these people, the administration, all these people sort of help guide you towards that safe landing a little bit. Um, but uh, you have to get away from it, though, too. I really believe that it was important to, to um, sometimes it was better to be fresh than ready, if that makes any sense. Better to be fresh than ready. You know, you know, you got everything and you got your readiness part of it, you've worked towards it, but you need to have your rest and you need to make, because if you don't, you know, again, you're headed, headed for a rough landing at, the, at that point. If you never get rest and you're, and you're constantly struggling in that capacity, which is to try and keep, keep pace. So Caleb was telling me, I was, I didn't know much about Michigan State football until I met Caleb. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he was telling me that for a long time, Michigan State remained as the underdogs of most of their games that they played. It was always, oh, Michigan University this, Michigan University that. And uh, along comes Coach D'Antonio, who has sur surpassed every expectation set in front of him, has upset many teams and has become the most winningest coach in MSU history. 
how do you think, or what do you think made you the coach that was able to outperform the expectations? You know, I, uh, look at my dog here running around, so she barks. <laughs> um, you know, I was, I was fortunate to be at Michigan State for six years from 95 to 2000 through 2000. So in that time, you know, I met some people from the 66, 67 teams, you know, where they were national champions, the, the old, old school people. I met some of that. So I knew that at that point that Michigan State had been there at one point, that they had, had been at the top at one point. And I always believed that if you were there once, once there was always the possibility that you could get back there again. And so, again, I continually talk about striving striving forward and, and really dreaming big. Dreaming big was a big thing that we would have constantly talk about, you know, you know, sit there the first day and say, hey, you know, we've got guys who are first round draft picks. We've got guys who are all Americans sitting in this in this room or or having sat in the seat that you were in. You know, those possibilities exist for you too. So I would always talk about, you know, the future and, you know, and, and believe in them, uh, totally believe in them and try and, you know, make our way through that. Uh, you know, I was fortunate uh, to to work for Nick Saban, you know, the success that he's had. You know, so I worked for him for five years. Jim Tressel, you know, the success that he's had as a coach. I was at Ohio State with Earl Bruce, a uh, you know, longtime coach, and very successful coach, and Jim Young. So, you know, I played at major college football, South Carolina. Um, so all those things helped shape me and shape my ideas because the experiences that I'd had, and that's was able to say when I get, if, if I ever become a head coach, because it's a big if, that here's how we were going to go about things and there was going to be a blueprint for this. And then uh, a lot of the things, uh, as I said earlier, we can critique and shape as we went through things. And the critique was was uh, deep. It was a deep dive into what we were doing from, from our trainers and their experiences to our graduate assistants or, you know, our interns to our assistant coaches to um, to our strength coaches and our academic people. Everybody had a had a little bit of a, a say in, in terms of okay, how can we get better? But um, you know, I remember also sitting standing there at the podium in 2006. I think it was November 26, 2006. Also saying if we can all go in one direction, which is sort of a Sparty thing like this. Um, we can all go in one direction. We can be extremely successful here. But if we don't, if we break away and we go in separate ways, we, we have a problem. We don't go in the same direction. There's going to be problems and friction. Uh, I do think that there's going to be friction points along any path. And those friction points are going to cause some people to be uncomfortable and uh, uh, those type of things. But you've got to go through those that adversity to be able to come out the other end, too. I was listening to a press conference the other day where you used the phrase, do the job. And you said you were taught that from growing up through your parents. What does that mean to you? And how has that influenced your time coaching? Yeah, you know, do your job. You know, that's, again, everybody has a role. Do your job. You know, usually you'll get a bigger role. You know, complete your circles is what I would always say to our players. You know, that was really from my father, you know, that hey, when you start something, you want to control come full circle and try and complete that to the best of your ability. That's, that's not always going to happen. There's going to be things that prevent that, but that's your goal. And you, you know, you want to try and attain that. So um, those two things were sort of factored in and became part of who I will, you know, the Nick Saban thing was do your job. 
And, uh, you know, I hear Mel saying that, you know, uh, a little bit, but, uh, you know, that's, that's a part of it. That's part of that work ethic aspect that, you know, you have a role, regardless of what that role is, you need to be, you need to do that role to the best of your ability, and then you'll get more responsibility because of it. As we're coming down to time, and as you've recently retired, I was wondering if you could go back to Mark D'Antonio, who is just stepping into his shoes as head coach of Michigan State University. What is one piece of advice that you would give to yourself? Uh, <laughs> I would say probably what I've sort of talked about, you know, you got to be patient. Um, patience is a virtue. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to be patient. You've got to be able to, to handle adversity. I think that, that I was good at that. I think that, you know, one of the biggest things that um, the biggest, one of the biggest goals that we always had was how did we play the game after the Michigan game, win or lose big emotional time. How did you respond after big emotion, you know, big emotional periods, you know, were you able to continue to push forward or did you fall off track a little bit? So we track that all the time. What was our record after a big game and uh, particularly the Michigan game? Cause we always pointed towards that one, you know, how do we play? Um, so, uh, that's a deep diving question because I don't really have time to think about it too too much. But, uh, <laughs> but I have to say, um, maintain my integrity. And uh, I've always said I wanted to be defined, you know, maybe a little bit more of not so much of the wins that we had, but who I was. And hopefully that comes through a little bit, you know, in terms of people that I've met and, and really especially the players that have been around. You know, the players make plays. And the players are the people that have lived it. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the thing about coaching and probably the thing maybe about being a doctor long term is that you get to watch young people grow. And um, their growth is so important and so um, t- sort of time measured. You know, you see a guy who maybe could never stand up and talk in front of a group and had a severe stuttering problem at the end of his five years, four and a half years, he could get up in front of his teammates and talk and deliver a speech where you'd see a guy speak at the big 10 uh, media day, or you'd, you'd see players become of their own all of it, become men. And, you know, to me, that was as rewarding as anything to watch people grow. I think that's a great answer. Peter and I always end our episodes asking our interviewees about their favorite books. Both of us believe that leaders are readers and leaders love to learn. And so we want to finish the interview with just asking you, what are a few books that have helped you along the way that have really fueled who you are and, and some of your values? Yeah. You know, um, chase the lion is a book by Mark Batterson. Um, a good book, you know, sort of, sort of, uh, measures, you know, what they were chasing, you know, in that book a little bit, uh, you know, the, um, I can't remember what the name of the book was, but it was about the New Zealand All Blacks and, uh, you know, the structure that they had, uh, you know, had different people come in, you know, talk. Um, I had a Marine come in and talk. So the Marine thought process, you know, line of departure, you know, um, plane will survive contact, friction points, those type of things, you know, were sort of meddled in there, but so anything that you can, you can grab from anybody that there's a lot of books and there's a lot of different things that you can draw from, you know, but people who have been there and experienced things, 
that you're looking to experience, I think that's the best way to learn mm-hmm. and to always look for, look for a better way a little bit and open yourself up to it. Certainly, I, you know, and, and, you know, I'm not, it's just saying this, you know, I've looked in the Bible and, and found all kinds of strength from that. And, uh, you know, you know, I've sort of measured myself in that area too. Thank you so much for your time, Coach D'Antonio. I think Caleb has one more thing he's wanted to say. I want to give you a nice go green. Yep, go white. You know, appreciate you having me on, Caleb. And I looked at that, that email and I said, huh, I think I'll do this one. So <laughs> yeah, we really, we really appreciate that. Hopefully I'll get to, you know, meet you and thank you in person sometime. But uh, it was great to talk to you virtually and uh, look to – continually watch and cheer for Michigan State football and support what you're doing. Well, thanks. You tell Zach hi when I, when you see him and I know he's, uh, he's uh, extremely successful as well right now and uh, great young man. Yep. Definitely. Have a good thanks, one. Guys. Thank Go you for good. your time. Yeah. Bye-bye. Go white. Thanks for listening to this episode of leading the rounds. We hope you learned something new or got a thought you can reflect on to further your own leadership development. If you like our content, please subscribe and follow. We work to put out a new episode every other week. You can also connect with us on social media on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Leading the Rounds, or email us at leadingtherounds at gmail.com. See you next time on Leading the Rounds.